0: Games are designed for two people to, to cooperate in this. In yeah, but can I betray you also?
1: I want enemy. In so order to betray <laughs> the enemy yeah. and betray the
0: friend, you know. That's fun. I'm sure there are if games you... like that. You, I, there's one game that became very, very popular in the past, uh, <laughs> in the past month. It's called Among Us. And it's a ah, very, my son knows everything about this. Your son it. knows yeah, that. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. If you're if you're familiar with the game, uh, like the party game Mafia, it's like yeah. that. Yeah, it's also, it's, my it's, son. It's, it's 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 basically that. You have a, a group of people, and one of them uh, is the imposter, and you've got yeah, to figure yeah. out. And they're sabotaging. You've got to figure out which one it is. And periodically, you will vote on which one is the imposter. And if there's a majority that says, you know, that you know, <clears throat> someone, that person is <clears> the <throat> check. From the game, they're just, they're killed essentially. But you know
1: what I mean. I'm interested. If what if the majority selects the wrong imposter? is he still killed? So sorry, guy, bad luck. <laughs> uh He
0: uh, that player is killed, and the remaining players are told of their mistake that uh, you killed an innocent person. But he remains killed. Can... But he is killed. But he remains killed. He remains yeah. killed. Yeah. So no socialist
1: humanism here. You remain killed.
0: <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, just to let you know, Slavoj. Yeah. Uh, we are just doing audio.
1: Ah, that's perfect. Then, then I can be more like uh, 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 like more
0: free and so on. <laughs> we, we can, you know, we can we can relax here. We can relax here now.
1: You see, Virgil, you are Virgil, not the guy with the tie. No. You know, yeah. In my imaginary, a tie is a very useful object. You know why? When we take, a, you know, whom to hang, and we already have the instrument to hang you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, you know what would be a nice, along those paranoia lines of a video game, a nice way of betrayal. That you tell me that my image is off. So I behave like crazy, but no, no, no. You have it recorded. <laughs> you decide,
0: you know. That's the you know, that's the paranoia that people have is about their Zoom images now.
1: Uh, really? It's general. like. But you know another like a- problem with Zooming. That's why I prefer email messages, then just voice, then Zooming. Zooming is almost like meeting you, and I often have to lie. People invite me somewhere, I have to say no, and so on. But it's embarrassing to say, I, brutally, I just think you are stupid, I'm not interested. And it's much more, so you have to lie. Sorry, I have, uh, I don't know, asthma, blah, blah, blah. And it's much, it's more difficult to lie with image on, you know. That's why I like yeah. just uh, texting messages. It's easy to lie there, you know.
0: Well, that was something that's, that's something that was interesting from the early part of the pandemic, right? You could be you could be wherever you want. You could go wherever you want. You don't have to go in the office. You don't have to see anyone. Uh, if you have to, if you have to phone in something like that, you know, you just just turn off your video. You could be anywhere yeah. in the world, <laughs> and like that was the perfect opportunity to disappear. If you have if you have a guilty conscience. If you, if you did some crime, you just want to leave your family. That was the perfect time was when everyone was locking down.
1: Yeah, but nonetheless, with all this digital control, you know, which is I wrote about it, you know, which is one of my favorite books. And it's no, it's not even meant a joke, but it's clearly it clearly belongs to pre-digital and pre-this ultra computerization time. A serious guide like uh, there was a series some 30 years ago, published somewhere in California Of these perverse guides, you know, like how to spread rumors without being caught to destroy somebody, someone, and so on. And one of them was how to disappear, how you adopt identity, how you erase the traces, how, without committing any mega crimes, you don't have to kill anybody, but how to do it. But now with all the DNA analysis it's difficult I
0: think now you know? well something that I always wonder is how did they solve any crime before DNA because you could you know we've talked about this on this program before because we give practical lifestyle advice in addition to political theory on to yeah. our listeners if, if you know you're in the 19th century or something you're in the, I don't know, the west yeah you know the American West yeah you you want to get away with murder then you just go to the next town well, that's it
1: yeah. How are they, yeah. they going to know? Yeah.
0: Are they, how are they, they're, they're not going to know what you look like.
1: And I never believed in this idea, which is the Sherlock Holmes utopia, that a guy who knows how to deduce uh, uh, to clues and so on. You know that Conan, I read this in a biography of Arthur Conan Doyle. He tried to, he joined police when he was famous and tried to help them, you know. And it was. Okay. Oh, really? You know what guy? Yeah. But it was always a ridiculous failure because he looked at all the traces. Ah, this guy, his left leg is a little bit stronger than the right one. He is this. And at the end, a stupid policeman who knew that part of the country caught immediately the guy and ironically said to Conan Doyle, okay, you were right in all your deductions, but they didn't matter. We simply do it faster, you know.
0: That's a lot like it's like the, after 9-11 when the government asked uh, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, OK, what do you think the next terrorist attack is going to be?
1: That's an interesting point. You know what worries me, really, that at some point, not they almost become undistinguishable. I think that maybe the next terrorist attack will be something that we will not even know that it was a terrorist attack. It will appear as a natural disaster, some malfunctioning, and so on and so on. Because uh, quite often, when something happens, like, for example, even some paranoia think that the pandemic, COVID, is really a refined <clears throat> form of terrorist attack, then you tell them, but nonetheless, China suffered at the beginning. And then they think, yeah, yeah, they sacrificed their their own people, a couple of thousand, so that then they can ruin the entire world, and so on, you know. Mm-hmm. How often we we don't even know. I think that we are now approaching all the uh, new type of ecological catastrophes, I don't know what, you know. And I think that less and less this type of obvious terrorist attack, there is something almost old-fashioned in it, don't you think, this blew up a building or whatever. You know what? I am surprised at if there are really, let's say, evil terrorist groups who want to do this type of classic attacks. Why don't they do it more often? You know, these classical scenarios, you put some radioactive stuff or viruses or poison, let's say in New York or LA water supply. Is it so difficult? They cannot protect Control the entire flow of Walker it should be relatively simple
0: to do but well, that was that was the re- that was the rebuttal you know during the 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 war on terror right to to the the people uh, uh, the civil authoritarian saying you know you know the government needs these expanded powers to detain people uh, and so on and so forth uh, that uh, well th- there really isn't that much of a terrorist threat as much as you say because r- the reality is. You know, if you really wanted to kill a bunch of people, it wouldn't be very hard to do yeah, any yeah, reasonably yeah. intelligent individual, you know, not not like unless you're, you know, a total lunatic or very sloppy or something. If you're like actually working hard at it and you have a familiarity with your surroundings, it wouldn't be difficult. Uh, so- knowledge
1: of chemistry or whatever and so on. I mean, you know,
0: yeah. Right, and and you know this was and, and so so there's been an actual there's been an actual change because the, the ability to kill a bunch of people in, in say 2002 is, is about the same as it is today, right? Uh, except now is the period you know the past ten years is the period when you have all of these mass shootings in the United States, you know, suggesting that okay something flipped between 2002 mm-hmm. and 2020 to cause people to just want to kill yeah. as many other people. But as it can, can
1: be also a desperate thing, for example. I was even in Israel during some visit. Do you remember, I think, maybe I'm wrong, that it was some uh, a couple of years ago, okay, I think three, four, when there was a whole series of these individual stabbings in the West Bank or in Jerusalem, simply a totally desperate Palestinian guy took out a knife, stabbed some Jewish guy, and He or she knew that they will be probably instantly killed and so on, you know. But you know what was so mysterious here? Even the Israeli intelligence investigating it wasn't able to locate some dark plot behind it. It wasn't a secret cell of PLO or Hamas or whatever. This this made me very sad. These were really simply people totally desperate like, I cannot take it anymore, and just decided. I spoke there with a Palestinian girl who even wasn't poor. Her father was one of the few Palestinian uh, 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 success stories, had an architectural office, employed many Jewish architects, Jewish architects himself, and so he was able, by some miracle, otherwise they controlled it, to buy a house in Jerusalem, in the West, in the exclusive upper-class Jewish part. So although formally you should be able to do it, there was a big report about him in Israeli newspapers. Like, how was he able to do it? his daughter told me at some point, after some bureaucratic problems and so on, because let's never forget that the mystery of the Israeli occupation on the West Bank and so on, is more a bureaucratic occupation, these incredible uh, uh, incredible forms to feel and so on, where, incidentally, wonderful things also happen. Kind of a things of fake humanity, but nonetheless a humanity. You know what I heard from a relatively, for their standard, benevolent uh, Jewish administrator on the West Bank In a family, you know, they have this collective punishment there. In a family where one of their sons was condemned as being a terrorist, then they dynamite your entire house, you know. That was when still Saddam was in power. and, And they had time, Saddam Hussein in Iraq. So he, when the Israelis blew up your house, he guaranteed that you will get the family five or ten thousand dollars in cash for every room. So he told me a guy came to his office, Palestinian, and said, please can I ask you a question? In two days or three you are supposed to come to dynamite my house. Could you please give me just one or two days more? Because I'm Finishing two more rooms so that I will get 20,000 <laughs> plus more in cash. And it was a weird moment. They did reach uh, an understanding. <laughs> and, yes, Israelis came because Israelis saw that he is not a serious terrorist or whatever, that he was just part of the family. So, yes, they made the deal. We come two days later, you finish just quickly two rooms more so that you get more money. This is what <laughs> always surprises me. This, uh, Although, you know, the other side of the story, I know many horrors like this from Bosnian war 25 years ago, is how it, you belong to uh, different nationalities. One is, let's say, Bosnian Muslim, the other Serb. How it doesn't matter if your children were playing together, if you were close friends, it can break. They are ready to kill you, rape you, torture you, and so on. I mean, you know. So I think, uh, but still, ah, sorry if I bore you with this. I love, I love no, no, these no. stories. For example, if you go from Jerusalem, which is the city down there, Bethlehem, I think, which is practically a suburb of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. Palestine. Okay. On the road there, there is a monument. Although it's Palestinian part, but there is there a monument to some, I don't know, ancient heroic from Bible, woman, Jewish hero, doesn't matter. So Jews considered this their monument, and there was a guard there. It was, of course, a ritual that every couple of days, blah, blah. Palestinian uh, uh, children came there and threw some stones at Israeli soldiers. They shot back with uh, rubber bullets, whatever. But then a friend of mine went there just to look at it. And you know what he noticed? He saw Palestinian kids and Israeli soldiers exchanging chi- cigarettes, smoking, uh, talking, latest movies, and so on. And then somebody shouted, CNN is coming. They said, stones. <laughs> and then again, after 20 minutes, somebody said, CNN is leaving. Okay, thanks. Wait. They- See you tomorrow, maybe we'll see. And <laughs> I have a certain respect for this type of... Although it can also be misused, you know, because it's the easiest way for brutal aggressors, I'm afraid, is after he ruins everything to play the game of, but nonetheless, we are ultimately human and so on, you know. Yeah. Sorry, but I talk too much. Terrorize me, ask me questions.
0: I don't, I don't want to terrorize you. Why not?
1: Terror is the basis of good relations. I'm afraid of people who are too kind in the sense of, you know, just allowing you to do what you want. I don't want to do what I want. I don't trust myself. I'm afraid that I explode with some obscenities and so on. I like
0: control. Well, we are on a Zoom call. I think it's hard to terrorize someone when you're on the Internet, though. Now that I think about it, that is kind of my job.
1: Yeah, but you should find some way to pressurize people. You know, when you were young, there were pre-COVID times when we had mass <laughs> gatherings, meetings. You remember those times? I
0: remember meetings, yeah. Yes. P- yes. Parties, orgies, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, 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 speaking about orgies, you know what was the single most comical state regulation done in Europe in COVID times? At the beginning somewhere already in March, uh, when things began to explode, the rumor in Europe is that Belgium is the place to do large group orders. Okay, so it's not a joke, I see. Their government issued, uh, now it's difficult to say this, a law, a regulation order, prohibiting orgies with more than 10 people participating. <laughs> <laughs> this was their contrib- contribution to to uh, to fight and so the, on.
0: The funny, the funny law would be prohibiting orgies with more than two people involved.
1: Yeah, but even this, yeah. it gets complicated.
0: You see, we learned
1: so much from COVID. For example, especially in the Far East, but not only there, do you know that the cell of these, how do you call them, sex bo- bots, plastic dolls? Yeah, yeah we
0: re- we were we reviewed them on the show.
1: Yeah, exploded. But at least according to some analysis that I read from Japan, Singapore, South Korea, those countries, you know, what's the paradox? You have this image of a guy who went to a prostitute or had one night stands, now with all these social distancing, what can he do? You order a a sex bot. No. But you know that the quite large majority, between sixty and seventy percent of the people who bought at least in those places of the world, sex uh, uh, sex bots are married couples.
0: Married couples, yeah.
1: Yeah, It's not such a paradox. I think it's maybe this cynical reaction that, like, what, what can we do? You know, like, if social life goes on, you have an excuse when you... Uh, for me, always, the problem with sex is not to do it, but many people are quite lazy in their 30s, 40s, and don't want to do it. And in the old days, pre-COVID days, it was easy to find an excuse. Sorry, I have late uh, business in my office and so on. Now, if you're quarantined at home, there is no excuse. No, so you to come out openly and you say, okay, I cannot do it. You have a, a doll there and so on. I think that, again, we can learn many paradoxical things. I also, for example, do you have the same experience? I, My problem with all this quarantining, blah, blah, distancing, is not that now I'm alone. No, yes, maybe alone in the sense of material bodily distance, but socially I'm more connected than ever. People annoy me all the time, want to talk. We are controlled digitally and so on and so on. So what I miss now is good old-fashioned loneliness, you know, I think that it's not simply social distancing. No, it's bodily distancing. But this bodily distancing involves much more of a social interaction, digital, of course, phones, Zoom, or whatever. But it's very difficult to be alone today. I talk too much. Again, go on.
0: Well, to return to sex, I found that to be one of the more interesting chapters from your forthcoming book, Pandemic 2 Chronicles of Mm. Time Lost which will be out soon from OR books uh was your uh, your ruminations on sex and you describe this very phenomenon of married couples buying sex bots yeah. uh in order to avoid intimacy yeah and the the question i had is uh, what why do you suppose it is that people are people people don't want to be physically intimate with their partner or uh, another example you bring up another thing you mentioned yeah is you brought up the story of a a, a pornographic actor. From Garton. I
1: read it with a, a lady called Eva Eve Weissman or whoever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't yeah. this story a beautiful one? We should tell it, yes. A guy, yeah. he saw, so, uh, I love them. They are so depressive. The hardcore <laughs> that is to say, they are shooting a hardcore scene, but then the camera is like 10 yards back so that you see also the background, everything. So again, the guy was doing bang, bang, penetrating, and then in the middle of it, he stepped back and said, sorry, I'm losing erection. Could you please give me my iPhone so that I look at Pornhub a little bit to get erection? Of course, this sounds madness, because, my God, you have there, sorry for vulgarity, Uh, probably a nice woman with her legs spread wet and so on. You have the thing itself there. But I think that's the the truth of sexuality. Fantasy is always there. We are terribly afraid of being really alone with our partners. So from here I come, I think, in that text to my paradoxical solution. Again, what we can learn from this. depth. It may sound romantic, idealist, but I think it's true that sex itself can be easily not spiritualized, but dematerialized. Like many researchers in Slovenia, in Germany, in the United States told me that independently of COVID for the last 10 years, there is less and less of actual sex activity among teen generations, high school and so on. And uh, I've spoken with some friends of my son who told me openly, who has time for all the complicated game of flirting, seduction? One night stand, maybe, but not anything more. But it be. isn't much more practical. You go to a hardcore website, you masturbate, it's over in a couple of minutes, then you are free again, and so on. So I think that, that's my own theory, that this type of pure sex has the structure of masturbation. In masturbation, you think about it, but you really just do it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Usual sex is, I think, masturbation with a real partner. <laughs> it's a real partner, but it's really masturbation. And I think that to be really in contact with the other when you make love, it must be love. It must be real love. Love makes all the difference. Love. Is this shock, my God? sorry for my male chauvinist perspective, (laughs) this really her that I hold now naked in my hands, is this incredible intensity. So again, for me, love is much more material in the bodily sense than sex. Sex precisely can be easily virtualized. It's one nice lesson from COVID, I think.
0: Well, no one is disputing that there were good things that came out of the pandemic.
1: I hope uh, this is why so many people laughed at me. You know, oh, what do you mean by communism and all that? You know, no, I'm not crazy. I don't think there will be now a new Leninist party or whatever. Although one must be honest to say that not so much China. China did it with extreme brutality, but look at true miracle stories, Vietnam and even, even Cuba, they are doing pretty well and from mm. what I've read, do you know that they remobilized? you know that old socialist totalitarian nightmare, you have local committees in Cuba, they are called committees for the defense of the revolution, you know, they take care, they control if there is some suspect activity in their block or a couple of blocks. But now they Remobilize them, and they are doing a very good job. Like, people gather, okay, in our block, do you know, is there some old family where they cannot take care of themselves and so on? Because it's obvious that the state cannot do everything. You need this type of local mobilization. That's, one must say that Cuba, and especially Vietnam, you know, but so now that you will not accuse me of communism, just, You know, people say China, nonetheless, they did it. Yeah, but do you know that the true miracle is Vietnam? uh, Sorry, uh, Taiwan, which definitely doesn't want to be part of China, they're the true miracle. They did it even better, you know. I don't have a good theory, but uh, what I want to say is that one lesson here is that, yes, COVID is... uh, Uh, health problems, virus, pandemics, and so on. But it's not only already in itself at the same time a social and economic problem, like only in a certain stage of global capitalism was it possible for COVID to explode the way it did. Imagine the same thing happening in the late or early 50s in China. Maybe it did. We wouldn't even have known about it. You know, it's the international exchange, colonization of nature, and so on, and world travel, and so on. So, But on the other hand, also, I think that COVID is a political problem, in the sense that it makes us aware how and everybody knows this, I think. How a certain type of capitalism we were used to is reaching its limits, and this is why. Look, when people told, ask me, are you crazy? What communism? I say, by communism, I only mean, among other things, a little bit more radical socialization of economy. You use market when it's useful, but you establish some type of control as you usually do in extreme emergency situation. And this is our situation today. There are things which have to be done. Globalized healthcare, we try to avoid it, but it will have to be done. How we will deal with food, how we will deal with new economic crisis, and so on and so on. And as simple as that, this cannot be left to the market. And they are doing it. Look, Trump manipulated like crazy. We know where the money went, no? It's all these trillions of dollars, most of it to save companies. But even nonetheless, he had to do some kind of very limited, uh, 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 how do you call it? basic income stuff. People, they have to do this. They have to, to regulate the economy. Uh, 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 the state has to intervene much more. Capitalism, as we knew it, is reaching its limit. And I'm not a utopian here. I think that those in power, if I may use this general term, know it more and more. And the different scenarios are already, this is what I write about in my book, they are already played out or rather emphasized and so on. One is this, Bolsonaro-Trump scenario, you know, Basically, you not ignore it, but it's more refined. It's, yes, there is a problem, but let's not think about it. Vaccine scientists will do their job. We just should go on with our life the way it was as much as possible. And I don't think this is just some dark Trumpian plot. I understand people. They are slowly going Nuts! Many people identify. I don't know how it is. Where are you on the East Coast, New York? Where? Uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah, my favorite part. Because you are there, but but it's some. Okay, that's not going to. What I what I want to say is that uh, you have now in Brooklyn in the new part also cats, You know that famous uh, that famous restaurant. Uh,
0: Katz's Dolly.
1: Yeah, you have also one in Brooklyn now.
0: Well, I I, yeah. I I'm not sure. I only know yeah, the one rule. A, a year
1: ago, just before, yes, there is some new area there where you have some uh, high rise. Doesn't matter. Let's go back to this. So uh, I want to say that I understand people for whom respecting all these rules, quarantine, wearing masks, and so on, deprives them of something that they perceive as the essence of being human as a social being, face-to-face debating and so on and so on. I understand that it's a serious conflict. No wonder, do you know, it's very interesting phenomenon how it's not only the right, in Europe at least, even some leftists in Italy like Giorgio Agamben or in Germany protest against uh, COVID restrictions, claiming this Mm -hmm. is the block. So uh, we have this line of libertarian reply. No, even if we risk our lives, our life should go on. Then we have this technocratic dream, I write about it, how to call it, Um, screen new deal, or whatever, you know, which I think it's another catastrophe, because uh, first, it's not possible for Maximum 30-40% of us to see like that in safe isolation, there should be others who run around, do the job, and so on and so on. And mm-hmm. the big task of the left is, I think, to invent a new mode of society, and it can be done at the local level. For example, friends in friends in Madrid told me wonderful stories how. It's the same as in Cuba or Vietnam, you know, Local, locally people organize themselves in committees and state cannot do it alone. This is why I don't agree when people see just bad things. Didn't also, didn't the pandemic also show a much greater than we expected wave emergence of solidarity. It's not just the usual story of all those nurses, health workers, but also them. There are people who without any bombastic effectively act as heroes. They are risking their lives. They are not well paid. In Slovenia here, it happens all the time. Everybody celebrates nurses, but they are still paid with delay and so on. So I think that COVID for me is even more basically than a medical problem, a political problem. How to reinvent a new social space? Because, again, it's not just COVID. There will be other epidemics. There will be global warming and so on. And things like this couldn't be done without even international cooperation and organization. Let me give you a story that I often use, then i let you know. Do you mm-hmm. remember uh, uh, Fukushima, the accident in Japan? Now it's already 10 years, mm-hmm. I don't know how much. I spoke with my friend Jean-Pierre Dupuy, who is specialist for catastrophes. He went as part of the European delegation there and said that, do you know that for one day approximately, the Japanese government was in total despair because it looks that the pollution will be so strong that they will have to evacuate the entire Tokyo area. And where could they go? Okay, mm-hmm. if we were to live in an abstract, rational universe, the idea is clear. Ask Russia to give you some of the Siberia, which is empty and get it more or less empty, uh, and you have now, because of a global warming, better agricultural. But you cannot do it now, and things like this will happen. We will have to deal with mass movements of people and so on. And, and uh, the only alternative to war will be some type of global cooperation. What will happen, I don't know. I'm rather a pessimist, if you ask me. I think there will be more wars. Because you remember Macron at the beginning of the epidemic, he proposed a truth to all great and small powers. Stop all wars till the pandemic is over. What's happening now? It's the exact opposite. Many powers use the pandemic to fight their wars, thinking that okay, everybody is now fo- focused on pandemic and nobody knows. It's we live in very sad times, but. There is hope. My only thing on which I insist, okay, to recapitulate a little, are two things. First, it's not true that we live now in a time of emergency, no time for politics, let's just uh, do what those authorities are telling us to get over. No, now things are changing incredibly, not only economically, it's incredibly how the whole structure of wealth distribution, not only poor, the poor are much poorer, the rich are much richer, but also how, uh, uh, how the seats of economic power, the centers changed and so on. Uh, our lives, the whole structure of social authority and so on is changing. And I don't know here, I don't have here easy answer. But my answer to those who laugh at me, oh, you are a utopian, things cannot change, is I'm sorry, they are already changing. They are changing radically. That's why, for example, I still speak to guys like Julian Assange, you know, and my idea is always if Trump is (coughs) now preparing long lists of pardons for everybody, including himself and his family, It would be nice, I would look at Trump a little bit more kindly if he were to include into the list Snowden and Julian Assange, you know. Because uh, we cannot avoid being controlled, but we can make control, at least the way we are controlled, more transparent. That's crucial today, because again, that's my critique of the United States, not that they are guilty of it, but, you know. I always repeat this point. For for example, China. Yes, you are controlled, but everybody knows you are controlled. Nobody has an illusion. Well, in the United States, control works perfectly because you still think and act as if you are free. And this is for me, as I often repeat, the most dangerous moment of of, of state control. When you are unfree, but you experience your unfreedom as freedom. I just do what I want. I serve the web. I buy what I want and so on and so on. Sorry, please.
0: Oh, don't apologize. This is, this is
1: all Because I feel better. You know why? Because I, I break my own rules all the time. You do your censorship stuff, yes, or the other guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh,
0: I just wanted to go back to your book. And ask you I, I think the the most glaring question that comes out of it, which is this pandemic is as you argue, this is the beginning of a cascading series of ecological yeah. crises mm-hmm. and this this is the beginning of the end, this is the beginning of the end that we've all known was coming for the past few decades of scientists of warned yeah. us, yeah. so yeah. on uh you know and particularly particularly someone of, of my age, you know my entire life you know i've Kind of been waiting for this, yeah, and now it's here. And there's a, you make this observation in the book uh that you know something that that's you know, very very imminent mm-hmm. for me. That for most people, we've stopped talking about the pandemic. It's fallen off the front page. We've we're we're obsessed with other things now. uh You give the example of this soccer game, and you know Kamala Harris, the election, whatever, anything as an excuse to. Uh, if not deny that the pandemic exists, but just ignore it, just you know, just put it out of your head. Yet simultaneously, uh, the the inequalities and irrationalities that the pandemic has laid bare. Uh, for instance, you know, uh, we're in this deep recession in the United States. The stock market is going up. Yes. the same one, uh, or the but that's, way that
1: sorry to interrupt you, a very interesting point, which signals how capitalism is changing. You are in the greatest recession, at least after nineteen thirties. Yeah. And nonetheless, stock market is going up and up. Yeah. There is a new logic. Sorry, go on.
0: And so uh, my point being this, you know, it's, it's, it's not even, uh, you can't even pull the wool over people's eyes anymore. They're not even trying in the way that, you know, Trump his yes. vulgarity. Yes. You know, he says the quiet part loud. He takes the mask off. Uh, that's, that's pretty much it for global capitalism at this point. And yet, in the United States anyway, we're not moving radically to the left. We're, we're moving aggressively to the center. We're, moving, we're doubling down on neoliberal solutions. We elected a right-wing Democrat as president who won the primary against Bernie Sanders, who represents, I think, the direction that you're describing in your book that we as a society, a civilization, if we're going to persist, we need to go in. Uh, the question I have then is, all right, well, how do we get back on track? You know, I broadly, I think people will agree with what you're describing, which is, you know, OK, you know, you, you call it communism, call it socialism, call it whatever you want. But, you know, this is the direction that we have to go. Well, why aren't we going in that direction? And how do we, how do people listening to this program, how do we start going in that direction?
1: I'm very modest here. I, what I like, liked it's brutal, cynical to say this in the pandemic crisis is how it's not us okay, me at least, radical leftists who had to invent it. Look at what governments had to do. Boris Johnson had to nationalize railways temporarily and so on and so on. They were doing, they, even Trump up to a point, were forced to do measures, which, if you were to mention them a year ago even, you would be accused of uh, radical leftist madness, communism or whatever, and so on. So people, I hope that this will remain as the legacy of COVID. People were a little bit awakened. They saw the limit. Now now the uh, the real struggle begins. And I think that the left, I will give you a very simplified answer, didn't learn enough from Trump. This mm-hmm. obsession with the center, you know, we we Trump is too extreme, but that's how Trump won. Trump played a more radical game. He didn't worry about liberal center and so on and so on. He, and that's how he won. And this is also for me, don't misunderestimate this. Uh, 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 don't underestimate this. My God, now I talk like George Bush, who made this. It.
0: Like George George. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. uh, 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 the reason Democrats, Mike Davis, analyzed this well. Okay, Biden was elected, but barely. And if you look at the distribution mm-hmm. of votes, there are so many surprises. Like uh, all those for whom people thought that they are the not they are predestined by their ethnic identity and so on to vote for. Democrats voted for Trump. Many Latino Americans in southern Texas voted for Trump. Some blacks voted for Trump. Some women voted for Trump. So uh, uh, what I'm saying is that the only good thing that happened is that democratic majority in Congress is now minimal, you know. I see a hope in this. You know, in what sense? Very manipulative one. (laughs) The only, it's very good if you look at the electoral, very instructive if you look at the electoral results of the so called democratic socialists, AOC and so on. They did very well. They got out stronger. So, my hope is that they will be in a position that Biden will not be able to pass some measures without their support. You know, he will not have enough majority, so maybe their position will be stronger. So, uh, at least something happens. I'm not a total pessimist here. First, people said Occupy Wall Street. It was an explosion. Then, people said it disappeared. It disappeared, but In the subterranean political life, it left something. Now, the term socialism, at least, is politically rehabilitated. Now, the most interesting thing, the way I judge in the United States, is not what happens in the Republican Party, but what happens in the Democratic Party, which is really now two distinct parties, Biden, Sanders, and so on. What will happen with this? And I think that uh, I think that this, the dream of all of them, uh, Biden, we suffer for half a year, then things will return back to some kind of a normal, maybe for some time. But the crisis will go on and on and on. And by this on and on, I don't mean, yes, in 200 years, we will have communism or whatever. I'm <laughs> talking about, like, who knows what will be, in 10 years from now, you know where you see this? I don't know how it is in the United States, but in Europe, the number of newborn children of birth has fallen radically. People massively don't trust the future. And it's very important. I don't I don't have time to go on in it, but the, the way you describe now the situation in a new text that's not yet in the book that I we'll try to publish now, I oppose the so-called, it's a wrong name to Eurocentric, first wave and second wave. In the third wave, first wave, sorry, the panic, panic, okay, we were all afraid, was an almost, would you agree, rational, healthy panic. My God, we have a problem, quarantine, whatever. It was mm. rational. now, something much weirder is happening. On the one hand, uh, people know the truth, as you said. They even expect it, but at some deeper level, they don't accept it. Like in my country, listen, Slovenia, we are now, you know, I know where I'm talking from, we are now in per capita deaths, the top of the world. You know, yesterday over 50 people died, daily. We are now between 40 and 50, but this is a country of 2 million mm. inhabitants. So, uh, But if I compare the situation now with the one in uh, uh, March and April, the peak of the first wave, there is... You don't feel this sense of panic emergency. Life goes on, though people don't meet. It's much more normal, but this yeah. normality is a fake Normality. It's not even fear, it's some kind of despair and depression. You know, even when uh, people still meet privately, go to parties, and so on, it's not this, oh, the worst is over, don't take it seriously. There's always this desperate undertone of, well, let's enjoy it a little bit as long as we can. Nobody even dares to think in the long term. So here is my sad prediction. And some scientists in Latin America, I heard psychologists already made it. If at first we were worried about health, if now we worry about economy, then the third stage, if it will have the name of third wave or not, I don't know, it will be mental health, if you ask me. The whole mode of socialization, culture, interaction, manners, and so on. That's disintegrating. At the end, I even think that, let's call it, the mental health will be the problem. Now what we have is depression. It's not even frustration in the sense of, I want to get that, I cannot get it. It's as if we even don't know how to reorganize our desire, what to desire. For example, you know how many students, okay, many of them study even more now, but many of them say, what's the point now of studying? Everything will, in any case, fall apart and so on. They take as a fact of life the idea that we are approaching some kind of new Barbarism. where who knows how it will be, will the elite live in bubbles or whatever. So uh, I would say, I, uh, of course, nothing will happen now immediately. But I try to be optimist, pessimist optimist. You know why? Because mm-hmm. my idea is always pessimists are the only people who can be moderately happy. Because you expect nothing good, then from time to time, something nice happens here and there, and you are glad. If you are an optimist, you are never happy, because you are always falsified by reality. So I'm saying that uh, things will have to move in this direction. That the situation itself, and people are aware of it, calls for more international cooperation, socialization of economy, more solidarity, egalitarianism, for example. The big ethical test today is the availability of vaccines. And although they will be cheating like crazy and so on, but nonetheless, in principle, at least, the decision was that no part of the world should be left out, that it should be uh, equally distributed, and so on and so on. So I think that this, how should I call it, although I oppose the term, but that is basic socialist awareness that new forms of social reorganization will have to be invented and so on and so on. Now, why am I mentioning this? Because I think the big mistake of the mainstream Biden Democrats is that they know even less than Trump what is going on at the level of customs, social morality, communal spirit. Simply think Trump was a catastrophe. Let's return to. I mean, their point is even more than Trump's. Let's make America great again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 a. You, I believe, you called it that's a a particular psychosis. Yeah, in your yeah
1: yeah. So I think that uh, the one who convinced me are two people. One is. Although he is now old, probably he will not be able to do a lot. But I know because I didn't meet him, but I know people who know him, Bernie Sanders. And he is so aware that the key to a true democratic victory is not this violent obsession, the middle classes, we shouldn't scare them with too much leftism, but precisely those desperate, new, impoverished, lower, even white, lower middle class people who now vote, For Trump, for Sanders, he was clear on this, although he didn't like, for obvious reason, to talk too much. That the key to the authentic victory of the democratic left should be let's get Trump's voters, those who otherwise vote for uh, vote for Trump. And on the other hand, uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, also saw very clearly that okay, Trump should have been deposed because things were getting simply too crazy, in the sense of he was undermining to such an extent what Hegel called customs, the set of unwritten rules which hold our society together, which is why even, I wonder if you would uh, accept this badness of mine along the lines of Angela Negle. I think that the left today should accept this term silent majority. My critique, and this is what I forgot to tell you before, this is where Trump, uh, those partisans of Trump who claim he is a Christian and so on, and uh, they dismiss Democrats as some LGBT madmen, I am for LGBT incidentally crazy. No, if by postmodern relativism, we mean guys who claim uh, 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 everything is relative, everything can be cynically manipulated, relativism, universal irony, then Trump is your genuine postmodern relativist president. And if Bernie Sanders is something, he is, I love this, he is the representative of the good old fashioned decency and moral. Mm-hmm. I think we should shamelessly play play this, uh, this game. Which is why, as AOC said, okay, we we'll have to get rid of Trump, now the real battle for the soul of the Democratic Party and so on begins. Because there is one text, I think, in my book where i try to develop it, how basically United States are now a four-party system. No, not two. You have Trump populists, you have the old Republican conservatives You have liberal Democrats and you have democratic socialists. And the point is how all these four are combined. The victory of Biden, I think, is really, as you said, a victory over Sanders. uh, uh, Even I read some statement of these centrist Democrats when they were attacking Bernie Sanders, and their message was quite clear that Sanders is a greater danger. So their message was better for more years for Republicans than, than Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. And when people tell me, and this is my I try to be a little bit upbeat, optimistic, but can it be done, today's economy, what can we do with... Listen, left is learning in the world. Yes, I was, for example, always critical about Chavez Maduro, even when there was still Chavez there. I was critical. And let's, with all the sympathy, how Cuba resisted, American boycott, it's not my model. They didn't really invent a new model. But look mm. at a country like Bolivia. I think there was a coup against Bolivia, there, against the uh, uh, Morales regime, not because they were uh, too leftist, but because it worked. That's why I personally supported him. My hero now is uh, uh, Lucho Arce, their new president. You know who was he? The third person, the cruiser. You had Morales, the visionary. You had Linera, very good theorist, vice president. Lucho Arce was the minister of economy. He defines himself as an efficient socialist technocrat. No bullshit about experiments and then you lose and then you blame capitalists. He delivered. In, in, not, at no point in their history was an average Bolivian living better than in the 10 years when uh, Lucio Arce was Minister of Economy. And it's one of the few authentic electoral successes that they note return to power. So he is a model for the left to me. I'm, aren't you tired of this? ecstatic left, you know, one million people on, name it, on, on that square, on Syntagma on Square in Athens. No. What interests me more and more is what happens, as they, you say, if you're an alcoholic, the morning after. What happens two, three months after when the pathos ecstasies are over? How ordinary people feel the change. And even in the United States, you know where interesting things are happening now. I don't know good enough the situation in New York, but I was even told some good things about how is the guy called Bill de Blasio you have there. Or especially I know the situation in Newark, where till recently the mayor was Baraka, the son of the Black Panther poet, you know. How I like this left which remains a principled left. But, I will be very brutal, doesn't ruin the economy. You know, realist, but at the same time, principled left. And it is appearing all around the world. I'm sick and tired of this. I'm very ironic usually about it, of this visionary left who like even secretly to lose. And then they write Mm a thick book explaining why they Mm -hmm. lose because of the imperialist plot and so on. Wouldn't it be like to win a little bit, to make (laughs) actually life better for ordinary people? Which is why now, after the referendum in Chile, the candidate I support there is, uh, I think it's Hoduwe, something like this, the mayor of, I think, Valparaíso, one of the cities there, who did excellent things at the lower level, free public transport, free uh, free library schools, but he didn't ruin the economy very moderately. No, these small everyday things, this is the hope I have for a new left. It is radical. They know capitalism is the limit, but they also know that at the end, don't dismiss, don't despise ordinary people. Which is why, if we can conclude, I don't know if I even use it in the book, My favorite motto, they have such a wonderful sense for rhetoric, is you know, when in October last year big demonstrations started in Chile, you know what was one of the slogans? Is the answer of this uh, is the end of the world? It was not, no, it's not, there is progress. Their formula was another end of the world is possible. It's the most beautiful slogan. Like (laughs) they expect, yes, it's coming to an end. But wait a minute! We can do a different
0: end. <laughs> that was in the book. That was in the book. Which again, I is is. Called... Sorry,
1: no, I don't. You mentioned no. it enough. You did your duty. I don't want to overexploit you.
0: Well, I want. I want to. I no. I. I. I enjoyed the book very much. In addition to uh, your earlier book, uh, pandemic. I guess this pandemic episode yeah, this one. one
1: isn't this one a little bit more substantial, more complex? like the first one retroactively appears to me a little bit too simplistic sometimes
0: you know it is i i find it i mean I found it an interesting experience that uh you you know you you wrote this as it was happening, and then you know you got a your publisher got a galley copy out uh in something like May, yeah. which is when I got a copy of the first book. And I'm still in quarantine. I still hadn't seen anyone in about two months, you know, so I'm I'm kind of going nuts there. And then to, to like have this book dropped in my lap uh as 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 almost like it's almost like reading your diary about this. Uh what I appreciate about the second book is is it, it is giving more form to the ideas yeah. in the first book. And I do admire <clears throat> that
1: And I and I love you know, and I love to write all those details, sexuality, which movies watch like did you did you do some of my friends did I think it's in this book that I mentioned that wonderful which is the title wonderful uh, short story from which a quarter of a yes
0: month. I haven't I didn't watch the okay. uh, I didn't watch the I have not yet what watched it
1: really you know this idea of this idea of how first it's very deep psychoanalytic insight you think the guy is still searching for but what he wants to, but he's already in his dream realizing desire and so on. It's a a star of the world, sorry, yes. This is the best metaphor for our time now. And so I am, again, the only way to describe my position is I am a pessimist and for this reason I'm a moderate optimist because unfortunately you have to be shaken to come with something new. We just need, but everybody knows, my God, listen, Bill Gates knows this, Warren Buffett knows this, Elon Musk knows this, that the form of capitalism, the way we knew it, is over. And now it's the true fight. We are already in this fight. That's important. And I'm not preaching uh, this type of violent revolution or whatever. No, as we saw clearly now in the United States, even, you know, it's the new right who is playing this popular uprising violence. We should emphasize this. We are the decent guys today. My God, you know. Can I ask you something? Maybe it would even interest of course. Our, our potential listeners. What other books or movies did you enjoy? Okay, I'm not saying you... Should.
0: During, the, uh, during the pandemic or in my life?
1: I don't care about your life. Pandemic.
0: <laughs> uh, one that I know you like uh, that. Yeah. You know, that that affected me a lot that I enjoyed very much was uh, I watched the full, I think it's about five hours long director's cut of Until the End of the World. Is this, is this that
1: uh, German guy, how is it called? uh, Uh, By
0: uh, Wim Wenders.
1: Wim Wenders. Wait, wait,
0: it's called, it's, it's Until the End of the World, right? Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. I must say, now you caught me here. I I was too nervous. I wasn't able to watch it to the end and so on. And, and really, you didn't care.
0: <laughs> it doesn't. It, it, the end is not like what it says in the title. Trust me. Ah, it's 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 actually a happy ending.
1: Yeah, but my my sense of what is happy is very perverted and degenerate. We know which movie I consider a movie with a happy ending. Did you see Lars von Trier? Uh, that house where The the Earth is hit. My God, to be there.
0: Uh, uh, Deep Impact?
1: No, no. Uh, now you, uh, Deep Impact is that kids by Mimi Leder. No, no, no. It's melancholia, melancholia.
0: Oh, I didn't see that. Actually.
1: You should. You should. It's literally the end of the world, but in a deeply satisfactory way, paradoxically. It is one of the great movies. But do you have the same problem as I do? I now notice that I watch many of old TV series when I have time, but it's this simple everyday life pleasure that life is so nice. Look, you are tired, you go to a bar, you meet friends, you know, with nostalgia you watch it, you know. Like, this is what makes me sad. Okay, in some sense with vaccine, some kind of normal life may return, but what I'm really afraid is from global warming to all these other catastrophes, you know, it's for me either barbarism or some kind of a much tighter, not totalitarian. I don't believe in supranational world government. It would be incredible seat of corruption. You know, you know what was mine? Maybe you will like it. Two ways I was designated my, once I designated myself, the other by a conservative friend. I designated myself as that I'm a partisan of communism with Julian Assange. Communism, but somebody like Assange should <laughs> into its documents bring out. And another, I forgot his name, conservative, more liberal, A friend of mine, described me as a moderately conservative communist. That's the best. <laughs> I,
0: I, proud I, of I, I Yeah, I, I see your uh, not just your friends but your critics describing you like that as well.
1: Yeah, because, you know, Marx already knew this. He said that an intelligent radical leftist always rich intelligent conservatives, not reactionaries. Reactionaries are stupid. But you know what conservatives have? A sense which in capitalism is saving lives very worthy when there is some change which just appears a change for the good. To ask... My God, but are there any other potentials to, uh, to also to catastrophic outcome? That's why, for example, I like still this old Adorno-Horkheimer critics of authority and family, where they pointed out that, okay, family, bourgeois, uh, uh, false freedom, paternal authority, but they saw very well that Hitler is not a paternal authority. Hitler was mini-Trump in the sense that all this obscenity shouting in public that, again, Hitler plays a hysterical dissatisfied child. He is this kind of obscene baby king. So the idea is this one, that we should never forget that oppressive as it may have been, a paternal authority was always individual in a family, which means it gave a child a kind of a support to oppose society. It gave you some kind of moral autonomy. Without paternal authority, it's just pure logic identification with a group which is much worse. You see, this is what I expect from intelligent, moderate conservatives. To say, okay, we do this, it sounds nice, but what are the possibilities of corruption, of things uh, going wrong and so on? Mm. For me to be a Hegelian today. Hegel, finished with my big philosopher, he always asked this question. You know, he was always fascinated by, by how things go wrong. French Revolution, freedom up, you end in terror. And 20th century is full of this. Bolshevik Revolution, I still believe it was meant as a gigantic step towards emancipation. Up, up, then Comrade Stalin comes. <laughs> gives it a specific spin, and I'm not saying as some naive guys, oh, if only Lenin were to survive three years longer, made a pact with Trotsky, it would be okay. No, unfortunately, the space for something like Stalinism was already there from the beginning. So this is difficult to think the difficulty in thinking revolutions. Not condemn them, but Also, not just blame circumstances or the enemies. They are genuinely tragic. Fascism is, in this sense, not tragic, because fascism was what? Bad guys told exactly what they want, and they came to power, and they more or less did what they (laughs) told they were doing. But Bolshevism is genuinely tragic. They proposed new freedoms, uh, and so on. Some of them, they realized equality of women, and so on. And then you have the mega catastrophe, Stalinism. You know, so it's uh, isn't for me, that's why I think I say it in the book, the greatest catastrophe, don't you agree, is uh, like, what happens today in China? Okay, I admire them, economic success, the way but I think I have this in the book, that how the left in the 20th century was defined by its opposition to two bad guys, enemies. Brutal free market competition and strong authoritarian state. Didn't China precisely unite the two? <laughs> strong authoritarian state and very brutal market. So I, I, I uh, that's the problem for me. I don't hate China, but How to prevent that China will be our future? That should be a true worry of any authentic
0: leftist today. Uh, Well, forgive me, but I do want to plug the book one more time. Your publisher asked if we wanted to offer a promo code for a discount to our listeners.
1: Okay, but then demand a percentage for yourself at least,
0: you know. Uh, to- no, no, no. I don't need I don't need I don't need the percentage. It's my ple- it's my pleasure to that's a Christmas gift. It's a Christmas gift from your publisher. Use the code I don't know, Chapo. It's the name of our show. Use the promo code Chapo. We'll put the link in the description of this episode. It's available now, uh Pandemic two chronicles of a time lost, available now from our books. But
1: you know what I mean awesome. by time lost? At least in Europe, we saw that it's a nice example of what we mentioned before. We knew it coming, what is coming. Everybody was, all scientists uh, and so on, were predicting second wave. And even when we began, it began late August for Sirius. And in this strange immobility, we were too late to act. Now we know if we are to act with, uh, with close downs and so on. At the end of August, it could have been, to a large extent, avoided. We we did, we did not. So that's what I mean by time lost. We are shocked now. Okay, some countries like Germany were a little bit more prepared. And also what makes me so sad is how little we know. You remember a month ago, Germany was good. France was in a horrible situation in Spain. Now Spain is doing very well. Germany is so-so. And so many things are still not well known. That's the horror for me of the pandemic. It's as if the relations between cause and effect are not clear. You know what I mean? Like things are happening. We are disoriented. We don't know why they are happening. I think, again, don't I stand behind what I said. At the end, it will be also a mega mental crisis problem.
0: Well, another <clears> end <throat> is possible. Let's. I,
1: I believe, I hope, I believe. The, way, the great word for me is, perhaps, I discovered this word. I don't know which writer used it a lot. But even, was it even Kafka, I think, you know. That, you know, like, my idea is, will there be communism? Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps not, you know? Perhaps something even worse than our capitalism today. Listen, I am grateful. Why don't you buy a proper cigar? Or is it a proper cigar?
0: This is a jewel. It's a, a, a vape. An e-cigarette. It's a vape. It's an e-cigarette. Yeah,
1: ah, yeah, so. ah, yeah but are they, do they still work? Isn't the idea that they really... I like how this... You always it's, get a it's, different it's, message from authorities, so-called health authorities. At some point, it was hate. Now they
0: say it's maybe even more dangerous. No, it's good for you. That's all bullshit. It's good for you. Really? It's the distilled nicotine without the, the tar and yeah, the yeah, additive yeah, uh, from, from the tobacco. Look, never
1: in my life did I smoke a cigarette. I somehow wasn't even attracted. It doesn't affect Never in my life, and everybody here did it, we were a normal country, did I try not even marijuana, some very soft drug. Never in my life did I get drunk. I'm totally unnatural at this level. Totally. Even I hate winter sports. I have a philosophical problem with that. Slovenia, before global warming, now we don't get enough snow, was a country of skiing. You know what's my problem with skiing? Look, think logically. Why should I go up a mountain and then slide down when I can sit down and read a good book? You know? <laughs> Seems to me logical.
0: I've never I've never been skiing myself. Uh I think I think that's good for the uh for the interview. I feel like that's a that's a good amount for our producer and I don't want to give okay. him too much material, because he's got you know, to cut this. Yeah, I but still, it out, you have you and
1: your producer have all the authority to do, if I may put it like this, a nice Stalinist perch that would make <laughs> Stalin laugh with pleasure in his grave with my text, with my, what I said.
0: I just want to say one thing very, very quickly. Yeah. Which is, you know, I, have you ever read the book uh, uh, Canical for Leibowitz? Which one? A Canticle for Leibovitz. No, sorry, it's no. a book. It's 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 a Canticle for Leibovitz. I forget the name of the author. Um, it was a science fiction novel in the 1950s, and uh, the it's a post-apocalyptic fiction, and it uh, uh, takes place in the 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 uh, ca- uh, in this Catholic uh, uh, monastery, Catholic Church in the West, in the post the uh, post-nuclear war yeah, American yeah, yeah, yeah. West. It's and they. Uh, uh, this this young acolyte, initiate, uh, named Leibovitz, he finds a schematic to, uh, I don't know what, it is. it's like an engineering schematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finds it and he thinks, oh, this is a sacred document. And then it's signed with the name Leibovitz. And he thinks, oh, mm-hmm. that who is just some guy, he's just some engineer, yeah, yeah, yeah. some random guy. Yeah, yeah. And thinks, oh, that must be a saint. And then they, they develop this, uh, they incorporate that into the the Catholic canon, and they go through the whole yeah. Oh, be- uh, nice. nice. I was always so
1: it, interested in this how sacred documents emerge and so on. This is and it's 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 it's. I
0: mean, the, it, it, it founded a kind of genre of post-apocalyptic fiction, which has always been very interesting to me. <laughs> about uh, uh, people with no real knowledge of of the the modern society that yeah, was yeah. destroyed, uh, attempting to piece it together. You know, based on the the artifacts that remain from it, oh my God. Uh, whether they're, they're I ideological I mean, artifacts or actual pieces. we have and,
1: now Amazonica. It's not uh, next time that I go to the United States, but <laughs> it's a question of days that I can get it.
0: But one thing you should do is uh, you should play the game Fallout New Vegas, which is the same premise. It's it's a it's it's the same form. It's it's a it's post apocalyptic game uh-huh. where. Uh, it's, it's, it's very satirical. It's a funny, it's, it's a, it's a funny game where, uh, uh it's, it's this, uh, uh, it takes place in a, a version of the, uh, uh late 21st century. There was a big war mm-hmm. with the United States and America. And it's, uh, where the, the, the twist is the, the I don't know. I forget what you call this, but where the twist is, uh, 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 like uh, 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 micro circuits, uh, a microchip technology was never invented. So they have robots and all of these things, but they're big clunky things yeah, with yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, transistor tubes and shit like that. Uh, it's a very interesting game. And if you, if, if you have any free time, you should come play it with us on our Twitch stream. Or rather, you can watch us play and you can comment on What's it. What's the exact would... name of the game? Fallout. Fallout New well, Vegas.
1: Me ask my son. I trust my son.
0: Ask him, ask him about the Fallout series. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's a whole series yeah. of games. New Vegas was the best one. But I promise you, if you came on and you did that, yeah. people would love that. And we'd make a shitload of money. Oh, that's even better. Okay, That's even better. That's, it's wonderful it's fun. that,
1: uh, like, different names but the same stupid guys we meet a week from now on. Mm. Perfect. Uh, what been, are you drinking a- now? Something, something, what?
0: This is a this is a diet Red Bull.
1: Ah, so I'm cool. I'm Red Bulls. I'm I'm afraid of them. Uh, 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 you know what Brecht liked to to, the, which is one of those classic, not Coke, but one of those. Patsy? No, 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 no. One of those which don't have the Coke taste. Seven uh, Up or what? I don't know.
0: Oh, Sprite. Or Sprite.
1: Sprite. High. Sprite. Brecht was obsessed with right. Sprite. So <laughs> really. Then. See you. Bye-bye.
0: <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.